Hello, friends, and welcome to To The Point, the home services podcast that focuses on marketing and operational solutions to help you get better. Because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Now, let's cut through the bullshit and get to the point. Hey, To The Point listeners, it's Chris, your host of To The Point Home Services Podcast, along with with my co-host, Mr. Tall Paul Redmond. My friend, how you doing? Chris, I'm doing well, man. It's This is my favorite day of the week, and I'm coming off another week where we actually got to be together in person, uh, socially distanced, of course, um, but it was great being around the team and kind of an unusual week in the Rhino office. Yeah, a little bit. I would say that. I'll tell you what, I'm actually really excited because we're recording this podcast on November 18th. So Thanksgiving is coming up and I will be traveling back to my home state of Indiana. So shout out to my uh, Hoosiers. Um, But I'm excited, man. I love Thanksgiving. My favorite time of year is the October, November, December, because I'm like Clark Griswold at Christmas time, as you well know. Um, So I usually take that week off committed to decorating my own house. So it's like, playing to the music and all that stuff. But, you know, I learned three things. Um, Halloween is a, uh, is a, is a, uh, a holiday for community. Um, Thanksgiving is a holiday for family. And uh, Christmas is a holiday for us who uh, celebrate uh, baby Jesus, uh, you know, <laughs> and celebrate for family. So, but it's my favorite. I love it. Cause you get to be around family. Like the vibes are always good. Everybody's yeah. feeling good. It's the end of the year, and uh, you know we're having a big celebration um, at the end of this year for all my rhinos, and I'm excited for those things. But do you um, want to talk about that? Do you, do you want to share what's going on at the uh, the 2020 Rhino Christmas party? <laughs> I can now that you put it out there. Um, okay, so Stuart, um, I haven't introduced you yet, man, but I'm going to bring Sorry, you this. So, real. Um, so I am. Uh, I, I I'm 41. Um, so I kind of really, even though I was born in 79, I kind of grew up in the, you know, eighties and nineties and, um, you know, in the, in the hard in the hood. St- streets of Crawfordsville, Indiana, you know, the gravel road where all the cornfields are, it's kind of where I grew up. You know, I got into some nineties hip hop. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought I was pretty hardcore. So, um, I'm 13 years, I'll be 13 years into business this year. And so this was a really interesting year to say the least. Um, and, and, and by the grace of God, we've had a phenomenal year as a business, mainly because the world noticed, now knows that a lot of our customers are deemed essential businesses. Um, and so we had a humongous year for our customers, which means we had a great year. But it was also a super challenging year. Um, and, I would, and I say this often and openly, um, we pride ourselves on culture around here. Like people, we are a people business first. Um, and this was the most difficult year of maintaining culture virtually that I've ever, my, my professional career, this was super difficult. Um, so I like to be around people. Um, if you've done a disc profile, I'm a high eye. So I like a, I mean, I like to be around people. So this year I wanted to go big and celebrate big. I wanted to celebrate my team, um, my employees, my family, my Rhino family. And so uh, I reached out to a couple of my connections, so um, you'll appreciate some of the Stuart too. I actually have some uh, some Georgia connections. Um, I spent some time out there. Um, one of my friends, Bruce Arians, um, and his wife Chris have a house out at Lake Oconee. Yeah, right down so, I know Big Ben's out there, um, so I've got to spend a lot of time with them. We've been out there multiple times, my wife and I. Um, 
And uh, through some of their, those connections of working with some athletes and stuff during charitable stuff, we've met, we made some great connections. So I reached out to one and said, hey, I want to have a really big Christmas party. And some of the stuff you did for, uh, you did this awesome thing here in Arizona for Larry Fitzgerald. And, and uh, he, she brought in Naughty by Nature. I thought that'd be super cool to do something like that. Now, the problem is, is that some of my employees don't know who that is. Right. <laughs> but I did. Um, but I think most people know OPP or Hip Hop Ray or something like that. So I thought, man, it'd be kind of fun to do something. Well, they weren't available um, to come out. They're in New Jersey. So she's like, but I got an idea. So she puts together this uh, 90s show for me and bring, is bringing in three artists for us at a super reasonable friends and family discount. Hallelujah. But you'll love this, Stuart. So kicking off our event is a guy by the name of Young MC who sings a song called Bust a Move. Oh, yeah. Like his one and only like really hit. So the second one coming in, the next artist is, um, is oh gosh, who's the second? Oh, Tone Loke. Tone Loke. Tone Loke coming in, Wild Thing, Funky yeah. Cole Medina. And, and the then closer. The cap, and the closer is Coolio. Wow. <laughs> Coolio. It's a very 90s hip hop Christmas here at Rhino. That's awesome. But and- uh it's going to be fun. Obviously we're doing a lot of other things, but again, the thing is we really wanted to have a big celebration just to celebrate the tenacity and the perseverance and just man, all the sweat in the, in the, I mean, all the gut, you know, that you had to gut it out, getting in the trenches and just getting through it. And I'm certainly grateful. So um, we're going to power through and celebrate awesome. the crap out of this year. Awesome. Um, but so appreciate you bringing that up, Paul. Um, yeah. I was going to kind of try and keep that under wraps, but not now. So now it's now everybody else knows. Now it's so okay. I want to get to our guest. Um, and actually our guest, uh, we got to spend, uh, let's say about a half hour or so just kind of chatting ahead of time, but we were introduced from a, a previous podcast guest, uh, Heather McLeod, um, who is the CMO of the, uh, of authority brands. Um, and our guest is part of the authority brands family, but didn't start that way. And that's what I want to, uh, our listeners to take away from this is understanding um, I think once you're an entrepreneur, you might not know it in the beginning because you're you, um, you don't really understand what an entrepreneur is, but I think you'll start to notice traits. Like entrepreneurs do have similar traits. Um, and I'm an entrepreneur. I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur. I thought I was a salesperson, um, and until I realized that I'm actually an entrepreneur, I love hearing the stories of how people progress, even from a young age. And our guest started at the age of 16 which is pretty cool. And maybe even before that, but as, as far back as I know, is at 16. Um, and I don't want to share too many stories, but I've gotten some time to listen to some of the um, keynotes and some of the speaking, uh, the speaking engagements that he's been a part of and listen to a story. And it is super awesome. But what I want you to take away listeners is I want you to listen to little things that helped him move himself forward in his business forward and his thought process forward and the things that he has done along the way to ultimately becoming a part of the authority brands family. That's a big move. That's a huge move for this Georgia boy coming in hot. Like I said, pre-podcast, um, I think anytime you have, you, you are from Georgia and you got like the accent and you're from the South, like you already have it going for you. Like you're already ahead of the game. Uh, you ever heard that before story? <laughs> no, I used to hear the opposite. Oh, you know, you're from Georgia. Really? <laughs> Yeah. God, you come out west, you're gonna crush it because everybody. Oh, he's, okay. Yeah. So, listen, I'm from Indiana. Uh, it's not really southern, um, but if you go down to southern Indiana, it feels very much southern. Yeah. Um, it, I've 
I'm pretty sure the movie Deliverance was filmed partially there too. Um, I've got family down there, so I know. <laughs> Very country family. But I want to get right into it. So um, currently, well, Paul, I'll tell you what. Do, sure. you, do you have any interest in sharing uh, any, what you've learned about our guests before we start talking to them? Well, I want to share the, yeah, I want to share the irony as I was preparing, because we've never met before, which isn't uncommon when you come on this podcast. So nice to meet you. But as I was preparing for uh, this conversation, I got a phone call from my son and uh, he said, Hey dad, I'm outside your office. I was like, okay, well, I have a podcast that's, you know, about to start. He's like, Hey, I, um, I need to go drop off this job application, but I only have 22 miles until empty. He's like, can you Venmo me some money? And I was like, Aiden, we've had this talk. Like you have to be able to manage it through the week. You got to be able to get through the week and man, you need a job. And so a couple of months ago, he told me he didn't want to work minimum wage. He didn't want to work for somebody else. He wanted to be an entrepreneur. So he started ah. detailing cars. Well, he, he put out a, uh, a flyer on Nextdoor talking about his detailed car, car you know, service, but he learned quickly that you know, expectations when you offer to detail somebody's car are different than when you offer to vacuum and wipe somebody's wow. car. <laughs> Big difference. So um, he had some bumps in the road. Like he, he you know, was charging $100 and he went out and did it. And he got some complaints. He had to go back and redetail a car. So we've tried to modify his business to like, hey, we're going to come out and we're going to remove all the chicken nuggets and all the fries to the best of our ability. But don't, <laughs> don't, don't say detail and then drop your price and get some volume. But I say all that to say that as I was listening to your story and I heard about, and you'll share this, and I heard about that kind of moment with your dad where he's like, hey, I'm going to provide up into this point. So it's, cool. It's so cool. And it's so, and I want to talk about that because it's so hard for me as a father to draw that line and say like, I'm sorry, son, the forerunner don't move. Like, yeah. yes, we have the resources, but Love the forerunner it. doesn't move until you move, right? Yeah. Until you and start want, making some money. And I for sure want Stuart to tell that story because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think it's actually, a, uh, I think that's actually a key pivotal moment that, totally. um, in his story. So um, first off, welcome our guest. He's, he's the founder of America's Swimming Pool Company, which by the way, pretty cool to say America's. I gave yourself a, a lot of scalability right out of the gate. <laughs> um and now is currently now you're currently the COO of ASP, right? Correct. Underneath the Authority Brands family, but yeah. let's take it back if you don't mind. Well, one, welcome. I appreciate you making Thank time you. for us and coming on board. Um, super excited to share your story with everybody. Um, but let's take it back to the beginning. Um, let's talk about what Paul is talking about, kind of about that 16 realization piece of it, and kind of that whole story. And let's go ahead and take it all the way up into. Um, uh, 2001 when you started uh, ASP. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys for having me here. Uh, certainly an honor to be to be on your program. So I love Our pleasure. what you're doing. The, uh, interestingly, here, both of you guys, it, it popped into my head, you know, the, the first, the, the nerdiest fact that I have uh, is, and I, I usually share this with when I go to the College of Charleston and I speak, because I when I open, I have to try to sound like I'm halfway intelligent. But the word <laughs> entrepreneur comes from the French verb entreprende which means to undertake. And whether, you know, it's your son, Paul, whether it's Chris, when you took the leap, whether it was me with cleaning pools, I mean, as entrepreneurs, almost everybody uh, that you surround yourself with and anybody that's on this show and that's listening, we're, we're all entrepreneurs just looking to, to undertake, right? So, you know, that's, that's a powerful word. Love it. 
Yeah. So from an early age, and I was an entrepreneur, uh, Paul, much like your son, I, I knew I had that trait in me and the desire where I did not want to work for somebody else. Um, you know, my, my parents instilled early on with me that if I wanted to do things and have freedom, uh, that that also, you know, costs money and I better go figure out a way to make some. So with those two things added together, I, you know, I was an entrepreneur early on. Um, I started washing cars at, at the age of actually 15. Um, I had to start in the neighborhood because I couldn't drive to, to pick up the vehicles yet. So you were washing, not detailing, right? And that's a key word, you know, washing. I advanced to detail, complete auto detail, which was the name of the business when I was 17 or 18. So Paul, I've never thought about that lesson before, but yes, my first flyer, thank goodness, I think was car washing and eventually, you know, moved on to, to, to car detailing. Um, but I started car detailing cars, you know, by the time I was, was 18 years old, I, I had two employees. Uh, I had a, a, what I would consider almost a, a real business uh, in my hometown of Macon, Georgia where I'm from, we're about an hour south of Atlanta. Um, and, and I was blessed with, with those customers of mine that, you know, that, that had faith in me and let me wash their car, detail their car. And I was really dealing with some, some high net worth individuals. I don't, I don't know that I knew it at the time, but I was slowly building my contacts um, and my reputation as well for, for somebody who could work hard and, and maybe had a little business acumen in them. So um, that would serve me well. I went off to the College of Charleston in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Love uh, Charleston. Love Charleston, uh, where I studied uh, corporate communication and business and, you know, continued my entrepreneurial journey. I, um, I was washing cars there as well and, and helped me uh, pay my way through college and, and get by. Um, but I knew as, as college was nearing the end that it was time to figure it out. You know, what was I going to do next uh, in, the, in the real world? And so I went back uh, and stopped into a local bank uh, in town here, and I knew the president. He was the car wash customer of mine, back to remembering your contacts. Uh, and I stopped in and I said, hey, look, I'm graduating. I want to start a business. Uh, don't know what, where, when, how. Do you have any ideas or thoughts? And, uh, and he turned to me and just said, Stuart, your timing, I can't believe it. Uh, my business partner and I were talking this weekend about how terrible the swimming pool business is. Uh, nobody takes care of their customers, a bunch of old guys running around, they don't answer the phone. And, and I said, you know, pool cleaning, I know nothing about it, right? Most of us don't grow up, you know, aspiring to be swimming pool cleaners. And so I said, educate me. And he said, well, it's, it, it, it's just nothing to it. It's these guys show up every week, they clean the pool. When something breaks, they fix it. But everybody's charging too much and, and, doing, and doing a crummy job of service. So he said, take a few days, think about it, uh, do some research. If you're interested, we'll back you. You'll be our guy. You'll start the business. And so, I mean, I, I had made up my mind before I got to the parking lot, probably. And I called him back and said, you know, I, I'm interested. Uh, I had called some competitors. I knew nobody was, was answering the phone or providing any service. And so they tasked me with going out and figuring out what is the pool business? How do you do it? What do you charge? Doing the market research. Uh, developing names and, and, and planning. And I spent the next five months doing that back and forth from Charleston to Macon, burning the road, meeting with them constantly. And one week before we were going to form our LLC and, and launch this thing, uh, my, my banker friend called me and he said, Stuart, we appreciate everything you've done, uh, but you're a little bit too young, too inexperienced. You've, you've never done this thing before. Uh, we're going to move in a different direction and launch this thing without you. So 
thank you for everything you've done, but basically you're out. Damn. Hold up. I thought they were pulling the investment and sending no. you on your own. No, they said, we're going to do it on our own. Exactly. Exactly. They oh, told me no. that they had, they had found somebody older with more experience. It was retired military uh, and would bring a little more substance to, to the business. Ooh. So a little Ooh. insult on top of injury there. SmartAC.com. SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. So can I interject for just a second? Yeah. Um, one, I hope this is going to go where I think it's going to go after that hurdle. Um, Cause I know how I would have responded to that. Um, but a little fun fact, Paul, you probably didn't even know this. Um, when I, uh, when I first left, when I left college, I moved straight to Arizona Um and I was just trying to figure out what to do. One of my first jobs was I was a pool service guy. Nice. I was, I was doing a pool service cause I was doing, um, I knew electricity. So I tried to get a job as a pool electrician from this one company. We didn't have any jobs, but they introduced me to this guy who did pool service. So I would start doing pool service. And by the way, um, you try to basically drive as fast as you can from place to place and make sure that the alkalinity and the pH levels are good to go. And you have not to do much and that the rings on them, I all that stuff I did, um, it, I but believe it or not, that was my life. I did it. I understand that, but I do not take care of my own pool today. Is that I, how you met your wife, Chris? It is not. <laughs> you, you had you had more experience than I did when, when I started out. I didn't even know the the, the difference. So. so I'm I'm anxious, genuinely anxious yes. to hear what you did with that. Story. What's yeah. chapter two? Let's go. Let's go. Well, first I'm making a side note for my Fran Dev department, Chris. We're going to send you a packet here shortly so we can all of your be on the lookout. Uh, so you know, yeah, hands down, you know, the most impactful moment of my life, I, I would say, you, you know, a few things come to mind with marriage and kids, and and certainly this moment. Uh, it was two minutes and twenty four seconds on the phone. Uh, I couldn't figure out why. You know, what's happening? What did I do? Uh, I had told my family I was moving back. I had taken an extra class to graduate on time. Um, and of course had done all the work and, and just had mountains of material and just couldn't understand it. So, you know, we hung up and I sat there on my apartment in Charleston and, and, and composed myself. It was a kick in the gut uh, and did what most 22 year olds would do. I, you know, I called my dad and I said, dad, this is what's happened. You know, can you believe it? What do I do? Uh, and I said, you know, I need to borrow $3,000 because I know exactly what I need to launch this business. Um, that's as cheap as I can do it for. And I'm going to, I'm going to compete with these guys. I've, I've, I've done all the work to get to this point. They, nice. they can do this to me. Let's go. Love you know, it. Let's go. Uh, and of course he's a very conservative gentleman and wise. And he tried to tried to you know, dissuade me from doing that. Don't compete against these guys. They've got the money, the resources, um, and he, I let him, you know, give me his whole, he went on and on. And, and I finally said, dad, will you put mom on the phone? <laughs> and about, two, about two minutes later, I had the $3,000. Uh, That's and, how it works in my house. You know, so. Your dad was a pediatrician, right? Pediatrician in Macon. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, 
he, he thought I needed to go back to school and do more schooling and I wanted to go clean pools. And, and that's a hard thing to reconcile. Um, and so they did, they supported me, but they knew I was an entrepreneur. I mean, they, they, they knew that's what I was going to do. It just, I had to figure out the industry. Um, and so they loaned me the money and I started ironically, Chris, to your point, uh, the name that the business started was all seasons pool company. And so that's where the A, the S and the P logo came from. Got it. Okay. We would eventually grow in, into that name a little more um, when we when we franchised. So All Seasons Pool Company, my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time, my wife now, you know, helped me come up with the name and the marketing. And I moved back to Macon thinking I was going head-to-head competition with these guys. You know, I was walking in the lion's den. Um, so I didn't tell anybody. You know, I got my stuff together, came back and found out a couple months into it that they never even got the business started. They never had the right partner uh, to get going. Be honest. How'd that make you feel? Pretty good. <laughs> I bet it did. Pretty good. But it, 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 it's interesting, um, hammering on this point, it would come full circle about five years later when an article in the paper came out that I had franchised the company um, and they knew we'd had success in making. But once we started franchising, uh, they, they, they began to tell a different story uh, than, than the actual reality. I was really hoping you were going to say they approached you about being a franchisee. <laughs> that would have been amazing. That's the longer story for, for another day. <laughs> the, the, the best part is you didn't, you know, you now didn't have this partner you were indebted to. And, and we all know you don't really have to pay your mom back. I don't know if you did or not, but that's <laughs> no. how it works in my house. Sorry, mom. Love you. Thank you. No, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, and that's what I teach entrepreneurs and, or aspiring entrepreneurs is, you know, you never know in your business story when you look back 18 years later, what you think is a huge hurdle or your biggest roadblock or your failure could easily turn out to be the best thing that, that happens to you in business. And, and at the point, that's exactly what happened to me with the story. Absolutely. And you yeah. got, um, this kind of makes me think of one of our earlier episodes on, I mentioned this a few times, we had on a guy named Jens Pulver who was early in UFC. He was a first UFC lightweight champion. And um, though he has nothing to do with the trades whatsoever, it was more about his story of overcoming adversity, which we all have. And I agree, there's different levels of it. And what you think is big at some time really ends up being very small as you get um, more tenured in business. But his, his whole thing, we call it middle finger motivation. And it was because he was in a domestic violence situation with his parent, uh, with his dad. His dad was abusive to him and his um, siblings and his mother. And, and I'm talking like from like five years old, with like beat on him. Um, and so his motivation was, uh, one of these days, I'm going to be so famous and I'm going to tell the world your story of what you did to us. And I'm going to give wow. you the big middle finger and say, you know, that's my motivation. That drove him through his entire life was that one factor. So when I think about you saying something like that, if you're mu- anything like me, I am a super competitive guy. And I'm, I mean, I do not like to lose. And I, I'm one of these guys that believes if you, you can't fail if you don't stop trying. Um, that would have driven me until I, without a doubt was successful that alone. And that is part of, you know, I come from a very small town. We didn't grow up with a lot of money, farming family, and that didn't have anything to do. I wasn't motivated by that, but what I was motivated by was that I'm going to be something, you know, that everybody says, yeah, you're stuck in that black hole. You're not going to go anywhere. And that always motivated, motivated me. So, but each to each their own, that's something that would have been pivotal, pivotal for me in my life to say, Oh, you wait. No question. Did that to me, you wait. And then I would have been like, I'll show you that been a motivator. Is that how it worked out for you? No, no question. I mean, I, I would say to your point there, Chris, there was not a day that went by where or multiple times a day in the beginning, especially the first few years 
um, every decision I was making almost was with that in mind and just this course drive to, to prove, to prove folks wrong. And, and, but at the same time, you know, mirrored against growing up with the reputation that he's an entrepreneur and he will do great and he will do this, this, and this. So there was some pressure, which is good mixed with motivation, uh, which for me turned out to be a real powerful force. Yeah. So I think that, um, and this is probably something that, that they missed. Um, and when you think military, you think structure, right? So maybe there was that like leadership and the structure, but I'll tell you what, um, I've always believed I will outwork anybody. I will outwork you. I will put in more hours than you. When you take Christmas off, I keep working through Christmas. And that was kind of how I'm built as just a human being. But that's how I believed that I could outwork everybody. It's no different. Like I'll put it, take this back. When I was in high school and I was a wrestler, I was a very great wrestler. One of three. It, well, I was 103 pounds. Nice. Um, but I would, the reason, and if Jim Batson's listening, he'll love the story. He's down in uh, uh, Alabama, um, wrestling family. Uh, but people would take Christmas break and I would go outside and run in the snow and uh, I would shovel snow and I would do all these things to think like, okay, I guarantee they were inside opening presents. And after I was in opening presents, I played a little bit and I'm outside and did a little bit of work because there's no way they were working that extra hour. And so I put in the extra hour. So maybe it was like a mental hurdle I overcome, but that's just how I'm built. So I would believe that you kind of had that going on. Like, Hey, I'll outwork you at some point, all the things that you've learned and with you having this, um, you're going to be a great entrepreneur. Now you've kind of got mentally, you've got, you've got it. You have no quit in you, but at some point you realize that maybe you need some help, right? Like maybe there's some, uh, you, you know, you, you have to reach out. Like if your dad's a pedia, a pediatrician, he's clearly got to be an intelligent man. Um, probably respected, um, has a good business, business and work ethic. But I do believe that there's differences there. In between, you know, that field and, you know, and like say even the trades, I do believe there's some differences just from my own experience, but I would imagine then you had to start looking at what are other options for me? Um, are there partnerships I can look into? And I know that you're big on partnerships. So if we can, I would like to segue into that. Are you guys cool with that? So, so let's go into that piece because at some point in this business, and you can walk me up into that point if you would like, or our listeners up to that point, but let's talk about how, like what, got you into partnerships. Yeah. Yeah, no, great. So that kind of segues into the actual business. So, I mean, you know, I, I graduated, I, I moved back to Macon. I started, I started the pool company and we had, we had some good success really in our local market at first typical trade business. I mean, we started from zero. Uh, we were doing then exactly what our franchisees do today. We clean pools, we repair pools and we renovated swimming pools. Love it. Um, and, and, and it was that simple. And after about three years, we hit the million dollar a year revenue mark, which, you know, for a, a trade business in a small town, we were really humping it. Yeah. Um, and building a name for ourselves, had 10 trucks on the road. Um, and, and again, we were just doing things differently and just swallowing market share from our competitors. And certainly we're not making any friends um, from our from our competitors. But sure. that's how it works. That's part of the deal. We were, we were doing it better and answering the phone and meeting customers and all the simple things you think about. It just wasn't being done in the, in the pool business in my hometown. Jealousy. That's what it is. There was a fair amount of that. And that was interesting to watch too um, from, from some of these folks. And so we launched that, you know, I, I had a great employee early on uh, to answer your question. How, that, that to me is where, you know, when I identified how was I going to franchise the company after about four years, I said, okay, I've got to expand. Do I, do I want to open my own location, north, south, east, or west of here? 
Um, how do I do that with my, my existing location being a big, thri you know, thriving business? Um, and I had a key employee that was threatening to leave me, you know, to go. We, he could no longer be a, a pool cleaner anymore. A uh, friend of mine. And, and I said, wait, you know, the business is built not because of me, but because of us. Um, so I offered to, to sell him, uh, really pretty much gave him a quarter ownership in, in that business, my, my original location, um, as I went to franchise the company to say, hey, you here, here it is. Here's your baby. It's mine as well. Run this business. I'm going to go start the franchising company. Um, I, I knew that there was a need to franchise by really a couple conversations I had. Uh, my brother-in-law called me one afternoon uh, about 2005. He said, hey, Stuart, I hate what I'm doing here. You seem to love what you're doing there. How can I do here what you're doing there? How do I get in the pool business? Within weeks, I had the same conversation from a friend of mine in Charleston. He was a banker. He said, I'm not making any money. You're making more money cleaning pools than I am as a banker. How do I do here what you're doing there? And the light bulb really went off with people in business are, are just, they don't necessarily care what they do sometimes. They just want a roadmap. They just want somebody to hold their hand and guide them. Um, and that just kind of hit me in the head in, in late 2005 with those two conversations. And so I studied franchising. I dug in and said, what does it mean to franchise a service business? Because I never would have dreamed that franchising existed outside of McDonald's and, and Burger King. That, that was what it was to me. Right. We're, we're talking about starting a franchise though, not joining a franchise, right. big difference. Yeah. So what, yeah. what was that process like? Yeah. Great, great point. I mean, you know, you talk about not having a roadmap. This was the ultimate there. There wasn't, not only was I going to franchise the, the company, which had not been done obviously in our business before, but it had not been done in our industry before. So as I started researching it, I was finding other service brands that had done it, names you've heard of, Terminex, Molly Maids, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, but I could not find a swimming pool company that had been franchised before. I finally found one in California and it had gone bankrupt after three or four locations. So not only did I not have anybody to, to do some R&D uh, on, but- oh yeah. The one I had found was gone. And so I'm, I had that headwind thinking, man, you know, again, Chris, back to your motivation factor. This must be hard. I better outwork everybody to make the franchise work. And, and so, Paul, I, I just I got FDDs from other organizations at the time. They were UFOCs, the legal documents. And I just started reading them. Um, you know, the Google machine was was a little rustier at the time. So sure. I'm, I'm sure I you know, did the dial up internet thing and, and did some yeah. research. Um, but I remember just reading and reading and reading of how do you franchise a company? A lot of the DNA that we have today uh, came from those early days of, of trying to learn what did other franchise companies do that pissed their franchisees off early on. And I wanted to do the opposite. Yeah. Um, That's good. So that, that was the first few franchises were friends and families um, that wanted to do what we were doing in Macon, Georgia, but they wanted to do it in their hometown. And that showed me uh, one just thriving. People were just dying for an opportunity. They wanted the roadmap, but two, the pool industry was ripe for the picking because nobody was doing it. Um, and every market we were looking at was fragmented. It had this horrible customer service. People were over, the competitors were overcharging and we could outwork them. And that was the simple premise in the beginning. Um, five locations pretty quickly turned into 10. 
And I sold at that time, I made the decision to sell the rest of my, of my original location to my employee, who was my business partner and let him totally run it so that I could take all those chips and, and shove them into the middle of the table and take a chance to buy a building and become a real franchising company. Oh man. I love that. It gives me goosebumps. That was um, so Paul, I'm sorry. Give me a second, buddy. Go ahead. You know how it is. Once I'm on one, like it's go time. <laughs> so so what that makes me, so I'm putting myself in your shoes, Stuart. Um, I have a feeling like we are probably very much alike, it seems like. Um, but when I think nobody else is doing it, I immediately want to do it. I want to be, like, I'm okay with being the first. Now, mapping out an actual franchise and all that comes with that seems miserable to me because it's just not what I'm best at as all those little bitty details of mapping, having to think through all that stuff. I'm, I'm for sure a doer. I'm a visionary. I'm a go out and do it. A, a, B test the heck out of everything. And I'll, and I'll explain this for a second. So for anybody who's listening for the first time, um, I'm also the CEO of a company called Rhino Strategic Solutions, which is a digital marketing company for the trades only since 2008. So um, my sister used to work at Google back in those early days. I'm talking like the early 2000s. My brother-in-law is employee number 26 at Google. He taught me a lot about SEO early on. I learned search engine optimization in 04, which was a way different beast than it is today. Yeah. It sucked into the trades in 08, and here I am still to this day, only focusing on the trades. But here's where I'm going with that. What that makes me think of is um, we are uh, across the United States, uh, Canada, and now into Australia. So from starting this podcast, we have listeners, I think I was telling you pre-podcast that our biggest, second biggest country who listens to uh, this podcast is Australia. Um, we're opening up an office in Sydney, Australia um, in uh, probably Q2, early Q2 of 2021. Why? Because there's no brick and mortar trade specific digital marketing company in Australia. Wow. So I'm like going to Australia. Wow. And, uh, and so now my wife, who's our COO, uh, initially disagreed, um, but we came to a, a little agreement, but she believes because like you, I'm like, I'm not intimidated by that one bit. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Just put it, let's go there and figure it out and get it done. So I respect the fact that you did that. Now I can't imagine you having to make the, like, I wish I could kind of be in your head or a fly on the wall when you're having that conversation, when you actually had to make the decision to want to sell part of your business to your friend, that's not a, that's a big deal to have to give away a chunk of your business. Yeah. And it was the safety net, right? Because, you know, that was five years into my business. It was making good money. And it was the reason that other people wanted to, to be a franchisee. But it was like that decision I had to make, as I'm sure you've faced this before. Do I want to be Stuart, the, the guy that owns ASP of Macon? Oh yeah. He has a few franchises as well. Or did I want to be a franchisor? whose sole focus was helping other people start their business and be successful. And I, I knew I couldn't do both. I mean, after about 10 franchisees, you just start feeling like you're wearing both those hats. You can't have two masters. Um, and so it was a big gamble, but, but it, it, was, it was the right decision ultimately for the company. So once you made that move and you had 10 or so franchisees, how did you grow up from there? What did that look like? Yeah. And so at that point, you know, Chris, you, you mentioned how hard it would be to do everything in the beginning. I was I was lucky that that I was young enough, probably hungry enough, um, but that frankly I had not I didn't have enough experience to know how hard it would be. Right? <laughs> it was just one step at a time. Oh, okay, I need to produce this document. We'll do it, and 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 ultimately, you know, Paul, that would lead me to my next really phase of my business, which was as I started having to do more research on franchising, franchising law. 
franchising documents. Uh, my local attorney at the time became a good friend of mine, uh, Tom Swift. I'm sure and, he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My work wife, my work wife, <laughs> eventually he called. Um, but he was doing my legal work and he said, hey, I hate being a lawyer. Uh, you've got your franchise company. I know you're, he knew I was looking for a real right-hand man. It's somebody that could come in and be a high caliber VP. Uh, but I kept running into this problem that they were really, really expensive. If, you know, anybody that was going to be a real... And, and so um, he eventually took a huge gamble and left his legal career and came on to be a partner with me uh, at ASP and bought into a minority interest back in 2008 when there wasn't much to buy into and took a huge gamble. Um, and that was another example of where I, I was able to leverage a relationship I had with somebody who was just a rock star of an attorney, a good friend of mine who understood franchising and who wanted to take a ride, you know, with my vision and, and take a chance on, uh, on, on, on creating something great. And so Tom quit his legal career and came on board and worked in the, is still in the office right next to me today. Hey, Tom. Uh, <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, it was a huge gamble for me, um, and a huge gamble for him. And to me, that's the power of partnerships where it's that old one plus one equals three. And, and we've, we proved that. And so Paul, that's kind of how the next step was taken was the two of us really tackled operational legal, um, blending those two together to form the company. How many employees did you have at that time? Like roughly one. Yeah. Okay. So, so there wasn't like you had to. You had number two? Okay. Yeah. Cause I was, I was thinking like at that point, do you have to, you know, uh, rally the troops a little bit to get them on board? Was that, or that probably comes a little bit later. Yeah, that, that, that certainly came later. You know, what's fascinating about that you mentioned team. If you look at my organization today, if you go back, so we're in 2020, if you go back to 2008, when Tom really came on board and we, we were on this uh, first building, that I rented on what today is a five acre campus with multiple buildings um, and one employee. If you stagger that and look at every, about every six months along the way, I would make a key hire uh, for the next 10 years. And we would build a team of, you know, of, of over a dozen key executive folks here that are at the company. And we've never had one of our key people leave since, since that time. All That's the way back to, to Shelly Smith, my office manager at 2008. And, and we built a, a real team environment here. And where did you and Tom take it from there in terms of number of locations? Yeah, so when Tom came on board, we probably had about 15 locations um, and we were really able to start to ramp that up. I mean, we moved very quickly from an organic friends and family group of franchisees uh, into kind of the real franchising space where folks were coming in that did not know us and they were making a real investment um, so we would eventually uh, go on to, I mean, if you fast forward to today, we've got 115 franchise owners operating in 23 states. Uh, we're in about 400 cities and we're cleaning about 25,000 pools a week. We're, we're with about 500 trucks on the road. So I'll so cool. I have to hold myself back to tell that stat anytime. That's I'm so cool. Story, but that's kind of the finish line where we are. Where are you trying to take this thing? Yeah, great question. That's the next. That's the next step, right? With when we when you look back two years ago, when we made the decision to sell to Authority Brands, again another partnership step in, in my kind of my my career evolution. Um, Tom and I knew that we had gotten it to you know we, we were approaching seventy five million in total sales. 
At that time, Incredible. we were approaching 100 franchisees. And, and, and we knew we really had something, but you're kind of at an inflection point, right? All of our employees were out of Macon. Um, I knew we could keep going, but at the same time, it was like, well, what's next? Where do you want to take this thing? Um, and Authority Brands had the vision. Uh, they were willing to, you know, to buy us a little earlier, frankly, than, than we probably wanted to, which was helpful. But mostly, most importantly, they didn't want to get rid of me. Um, they said, it's your baby. We want you to keep holding it and, and, and nurturing it and running it. Um, and we set a five-year plan. Um, we wanted to be double our size. So we've got three, three, a little more than three years to go um, where we need to be at about 150 franchise owners um, and, and double our revenue. We're on pace. So a so, couple yeah. things, or, uh, Chris, I'm going to fight you over this one. Um, what's that phone call like from Authority Brands? That's question one, that first phone call. And then two, what's it like when that deal's closed? Like what changes for you as an owner operator to now a CEO and employee? Yeah, great question. It's, it's you know, terrifying on a lot of levels. I mean, so the first call um, from, from Rob, who was the, was the CEO of Authority Brands at the time, two and a half years ago, Authority Brands wasn't much of anything other than really the cleaning authority and, and home watch caregivers. They were a two brand, pretty fragmented. Um, they had an idea that Authority Brands would really want to want to take off and be a global powerhouse, but they weren't at the time. It was really just kind of an entity operating two franchise systems pretty separately and independently. So we were fortunate that they, they got bought by a private equity firm, uh, again, two and a half years ago. And that private equity firm is, is brilliant. I've loved working with them, Apex. Um, and they said, hey, we want to make Authority Brands a household name, a 10 or 12 system conglomerate that can do anything and everything in the home service sector. That was their goal. And so they told Rob, our very first, our very first mission needs to be an acquisition, early, quick, right out of the gate, who do you want to be? Um, and Rob is, is nice enough to at least lie to me and say that we were the first, you know, we, we were immediately popped in his mind. <laughs> That's what he tells us. Uh, and he picked up the phone and called me. He called me, I believe him, because he called me a week before they even closed. And he said, Stuart, Apex has not bought us yet, but we close next Friday. Are you interested in making the deal? So cool. Which was kind of scary because he had been here a year earlier uh, to meet with us. Uh, it was too, too early for us. He knew our, our, our kind of our vision, our number, our goals. Um, so when he called, I knew he had to be serious, Paul, and, um, and he was, and Apex was, and, and we did a, a big boy deal that was with big boy lawyers and, 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 and experts, Damn. and we did it in 32 days. First bite, second uh, we, bite, or all in? Closed. Say again? Was this an all-in deal? Yeah, yeah, we, we sold and, and rolled some of our equity forward into Authority Brands. Perfect. So I love that story. I mean, that's yeah. so, and, and how old were you at that time, Stuart? 39. Good grief. So in my third man, you got so much runway ahead of you too. So like, you know, I mean, I'm 41. I feel like I've got so much runway and I have so much to accomplish. Now you, that would give me a whole new boost of confidence to be like, okay, now I have, not only do you have this, this partnership comes with a lot of pieces to it. Yeah. Not just, not just the financial piece, but so much talent yeah. in so many different sectors of the business. Yep. And, and that's a huge difference to help you to move on. You, like to keep you met on one of them. You met one of them on your show recently with Heather and she's, she's probably the best example there. There's Silpa who was the CFO, Rob, the CEO, just these high level talented people that, you know, I had, to, it took me, it took me a couple months to get used to. 
you know, other people were in my sandbox <laughs> telling me what to do. Yeah. But it, it's for the best for sure. Yeah, I think I think that um and we had Heather on and what's interesting about that is she we've never met up until the well we we had one conversation when she was working for a competitive uh when she was working for her previous company. And yeah. because we've been in the trade so long, like our paths were in, going across. And um and so it was a quick phone call and it was done. Like it was pretty quick. But I kind of followed her progress because she she because she's so so smart and intelligent and gets and just gets it. Um, she elevated quickly through these because of that, yeah. which is why like her and I have clicked since is that we just, we, we are also you know, quite a bit alike and, um, you know, and try to be forward thinkers and, and action takers. So and yeah, it's is. cool that you have that kind of, you know, that's the extra value of having that type of a partnership. Yep. So yeah. you close the deal, then you have to show up on Monday morning and now you have a boss for the first time ever, right? So yeah. what was that like? And what was the upside of that? I, we all know what the downside is of, of having someone over your shoulder, but what was the upside what, of that? Paul? What is it, Paul? I don't know, Chris. <laughs> yeah, great point. So it was actually a Friday. Um, you asked about the transaction. I mean, it was it was pretty fascinating. We um, Tom and I got on a conference call uh, Friday morning, which ironically was like three o'clock in London, which is where the private equity bankers were. Um, and we all sat in, in on hold and, you know, and waited for all the documents to clear and wires to go. And, you know, then a, a, a gentleman who I have no idea who it was got on and said, uh, gentlemen, the, the, the transaction is complete. Congratulations. And we heard this click, this ding when someone exits a conference call, like 32 dings with a, uh, the word congratulations from everybody on this call. And it was surreal. <laughs> call was over and I walked in Tom's office and just kind of said, now what the hell do we do? <laughs> what just happened? What did we do? Um, and so, you know, we really spent the next few hours. We had a game plan. We didn't sleep the night before because we wanted to be uh, methodical. We had families, other people's families who needed to know this information in a methodical order because Tom and I knew we weren't going anywhere and we knew the company was only going to be better, but that's only words to somebody else. Yep, in, absolutely. In and and yep. that was, we made sure immediate meeting number one literally 15 minutes later was our entire staff um and we sat everybody down gave everyone a, a, a bonus for however many years they had been with us um to really let them know uh, that i'm about to walk back in my office and go back to work and i'm going to be here monday morning at 8 30 and go to work um and so i'll be honest there are plenty of days majority of the days that that we don't think about authority brands it, yeah. we're just we're here running asp and working our franchise owners and and that's the truth so yeah. it hasn't been that different well i think that's what you're that's what you should do right because yeah. it's not going to do you i mean you you probably have to have uh i'm certain ongoing meetings to make sure that you guys are meeting the same you know oh yeah whatever the goals and things are of course yeah now you're accountable to someone yeah. else, right Fair. not Fair just fact. customers and employees and and franchisees now you've got to report out to a parent company. Very it's much. And, and that was my biggest concern in the beginning. Um, as you can imagine, Paul, you, you've asked me a couple of different times, <laughs> I think, you know, and you're smart <laughs> enough to know, man, how did you, how could you, you know, tolerated that? That was my biggest concern. Uh, so we made sure we had a one year runway period where, where basically they left us alone, do your thing, prove us, you know, pr prove your concepts. So that was really nice was to, was to basically let it be nice and quiet for, for almost a year. Um, we worked hand in hand, but it was, it was just very quiet. Um, our franchise owners 
we, we, we let them see that, hey, we're only bringing positive things to you, like Heather and the total revamp of all the websites, the, the digital advertising, the search engine optimization. Um, if you fast forward to today, by the way, a, a plug for her and for what you do, Chris, um, our, our, our franchisees advertising results are almost 125% better than they were this same time last year. Yeah. Phone calls, websites, and direct web solicitations. Awesome. Amazing. Congrats, man. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like, uh, do you feel like in some ways you're still just getting started? You know, there are plenty of days where I look at Tom and we talk about, you know, man, we're grinding just as hard today for this brand and concept as we were 10 years ago, because it really doesn't have anything to do with who owns us. I mean, it's whether we own it, they own it. It's just, we've got these franchisees that we continue to watch grow. Like just our top 10 alone, our top 10% continue to have double digit sales increase year over year over year. So cool. and, they, and some of these franchisees were my fifth, 10th, 15th franchisee. So, you know, they're continuing to grow. We're continuing to grow. And yeah, the, the, the adding new franchise owners 10 or 12 a year means we start over with 10 or 12 a year, every year. So yeah, there's a lot of that. Do you guys have um, something that we're kind of used to is a lot of our of our customers have peer groups. Now, do you have something like that where you have specific people within the, with, with the franchisees that get together and offer up like new solutions or whatever annually? Do you guys do stuff like that still? Yeah, we do. So we've got both uh, internal peer groups where they're kind of teamed up with, with like-minded or like-sized franchise owners of theirs. Uh, we, of course, have our yearly meeting where all of the franchises right. come together, yep. which is critical. It's where we launch. We save up a lot of the, the great stuff that happens the last few months of the year, and we package it all to deliver at the owner's meeting. Um, and then we have regional roundtables where, you know, the, regionally speaking, they'll get together and, and, and share best practices, feed off each other. Because a, a franchise is nothing more, back to my obsession over partnerships, right? Yeah. A, franchise, a franchisee is nothing more than a partner of ours. They, they need us to go be a lot of the corporate backbone, the back-end office stuff that they don't want to do. And they need to be out in the field running the business and building the brand. And together, we're better than we would be separately. I'm going to ask, Paul, I know you have a question, but I, uh, we've got, we're like 55 minutes in. So, and that's, again, on me because I'm chatting a lot. But I'm just genuinely Good curious. Story. So, um, I want you to ask your question, but quickly, um, if you're, again, because I believe we're similar, Stuart, um, do you take things personal when you should keep it business like I do? And I'll tell you what I mean by that is we have a hundred plus, you know, employees here. The way I look at this is I feel personally responsible for them, right? If they're working for me, I personally feel responsible for their success themselves, their growth, their families. I also feel the same about our customers. I feel like they're paying me money to deliver leads so that they can grow their business, grow their employees, grow their families. It doesn't get much more personal than that, which is why I take it so personal. And because myself and my wife are both in this business, though we're polar opposites, she's our COO, um, we're all in. And so we treat it all in no matter what size we get. Do you find that you are that you're similar in that way at all? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, to a certain point, a few years ago, you could argue that obsessively, obsessively to that point. You know, I get it. Over the the brand, the franchise owners. If a vendor was you know was mistreating a franchise owner, the you know the wrath of the wrath of if that message gets to Stewart because 
you know, these are our these are our franchisees. If they're not happy, if they're not preaching that ASP is a great brand with great leaders and a great system, then we'll never have good validation and we'll never have new franchise owners. So once I realized that a long time ago, I became obsessive over the brand and the system. Yeah, makes sense. But I'll tell you this. Interestingly, I that's probably been my biggest challenge over the past 12 to 18 months is finally because once you sell the business, it, I might be the caretaker now. I'm the babysitter, but but it, it's it's no longer my baby. I don't right. own it. And so I've had to learn to 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 give and take when authority brands wants to do things differently than Stuart does. I get it. I get it. Yeah. What'd you have? Paul? Great about that. I bet. So you, you mentioned to this, you mentioned building up those around you a moment ago, and you talk about there's three classes you talk about. Can you break those down for us? Yeah, three classes of kind of how how you make decisions based on the stage of, of the business you're in, yeah. right? That's that's kind of what you're referencing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think in the beginning, um, you know, you're 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 just out as an entrepreneur trying to build a, a business, right? You're you're a small business, and and there's a few maybe a few employees that you have, or a lot of the times maybe it's just your yourself, and it's and it's just you, yeah. um, and that, and that would really be small business. And, and then you kind of transition in, into what would be a, a company, right? You've got multiple employees, multiple trucks. You're, you're now bigger than, than just a small business. It's, it's not just you. Um, and, and, and that becomes more complex. But a business owner has to adapt with that. They have to, they have to go from being the small business owner to now being the owner of a company. Um, and, and, and then it kind of progresses. If you want to go bigger, the, the next stage would really be a brand. Right. Even if you even if you're not franchising yourself, I think once you want to go from being a company to being a brand, it's a it's a huge leap. And that might mean the heating and air conditioning business in your hometown. You want to be a brand, meaning you want people to see your truck and immediately associate what you do, how you do it, why you do it, because that's what they associate your name and your logo with. That's that's a brand. Or maybe it's a franchising brand and you, you literally are forming a nationwide brand. So I've kind of always seen those three buckets. I've preached that to our franchisees, um, preach that to any entrepreneur that I'm talking to. Which bucket do you want to be in or which bucket are you in currently? Man, I've been through all three, all three of those. That's cool because I can completely relate to it, which is pretty neat. And I do believe and I've, I've, I'm always transparent about what I do and don't know. Um, but early on when I was a small small business, which I still really consider myself a small business in the grand scheme of things. But um, I, I learned business by being in business. Like I was good, I, you know, even though I was an entrepreneur, I was trying to learn, I was just good at sales and marketing. And I decided to take it on myself to learn how to do all this internet stuff back in the early 2000s. But um, I didn't know anything about business. Now, thankfully, my wife, you know, she did. I mean, she knew financials and she knew uh, organiz- like organization and operations and management and things like that where I didn't. I learned business by being in business. Once I hit that second phase that you talk about, kind of becoming a company, is when I really started to hit a, a stride. And then we identified, I mean, the name of my company early on was called Brickyard Marketing because I started in Indiana. And the thought process was, is I'm from Indiana. I used to race cars. Um, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is there. The nickname is a Brickyard. I want everybody to know that Brickyard's a local marketing company because they were scared to death of building a website that early on, you know, in 2000s, it was still new. But then I segued into a brand because Brickyard no longer made sense once we went out, you know, into multiple states. And I segued into a brand and now we've really hit a major 
stride, but I still believe we're just getting started. So I could relate to all those steps that you're, that you're talking about. Um, Paul, do you have anything else you want to add to there? You've been a part of this journey for at least, I mean, on a couple different levels for for us, but you've kind of experienced at least that segue too for us, um, you know, with being a part of Rhino. Yeah, sure. Sometimes all in one day. You ain't kidding, you ain't kidding, man. But this, this, what I love about this podcast is Chris and I learned so much. And like, we went into this podcast with a set of questions that we barely ask because we're generally or or genuinely curious. And and like, you've got such an interesting story. Um, Can you go a little bit deeper on like what advice you would give to new franchisees and kind of that, that space a little bit? Well, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Let me add to that. Let me add to that. Um, And I, and I, and I, we we've actually covered a lot of great stuff in this um, kind of outside the scope of the questions that we initially kind of talked about. So I'm really grateful that we went down those paths, but here's what I want. And I think that's a great question to end on, but I want you to, as a listener to think about this, this is regardless if you want to be a franchise or not, um, if that's on your agenda or not. Um, I think that it's good from your perspective, Stuart, to tell it kind of how you went through it, but what is the biggest advice you would give to someone who wants to be, a new franchise or that wants to be a brand? Yeah, great, great question. So I, something pops in my head here. Um, if I have a, an aspiring business owner, say they've just started out, it doesn't matter what business they're in. I have folks that like to come by and, and they're gracious enough to want to talk to me and just pick my brain. Okay, so th- this answer would go to them or my last day of pool school. I, I meet and I host, you know, kind of a, a forum I host with, with these franchisees and they're about to go launch their business. And I'm kind of giving them my last hurrah and some words of wisdom. Both, both uh, this, this concept applies to both. Um, I always ask them, why are you in business and what's your exit strategy? M- meaning, I really want to kind of blow your mind here with a question, new business owner or new franchisee, because while you feel like you're just getting started, every decision you make, it's got to be made with the next step in mind. I don't mean you have to make that decision like, hey, one day I want to sell to authority brands you know, 20 years from now. Maybe just think about what do you want next year to be? What do you want five years to be? And when you can start picturing yourself in that arena, the decisions you make today will be made more efficiently, more effectively, um, and they'll be made with a purpose. So, Paul, I kind of sum that up by just saying, you know, Think about what you're doing, the decisions you make today with something else in mind. Don't make them haphazardly and don't make them without thought because they're all going to be part of a greater message, a greater picture one, one day. Do you find that people are uncomfortable talking, especially in the early stages of a business about an exit strategy? Is it like, yes. it's like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Like I, that's taboo. Wildly. And, and so yeah. I experienced that early on with deer in the headlights look, you know, 10, 12 years ago. So I learned, I learned to say that it, when I, when I, before I asked them this question, the last day of pool school, I say, I know you're going to think that I'm crazy with what I'm about to say to you, but I want you to think about this. You know, the, the best analogy I can give is you wouldn't get on a small airplane with a pilot. If you didn't know that the plane wasn't full, what's the weather like? Does he have a flight plan and where's he going to land? Right. If you want to know all those things before you get on the airplane, What's the difference in if you get on a motorcycle or start a business? All of those things have, have steps along the way so that you don't crash and burn. And, and, and people don't take the time to think about that in business. When are you gonna make your second hire? When are you gonna launch your website? What is search engine optimization? 
So I try to take them back a step and say, I don't want you to write down on your piece of paper, who are you going to sell to and for how much? I'm just trying to get you to think about the decisions you make today and how they're going to impact tomorrow, next year, or maybe one day your exit. And it opens people's mind when they start thinking about, well, I want to bring on a partner after a few years and I want to open a retail store. And, and right. So those are the decisions you're going to have to start making next week and next month and next year to get there. And that helps the conversation. Yeah, I think that you said a keyword in their purpose. Um, and that's applicable to every everything you just said is what is the purpose? Um, and I think people get nervous to talk about the exit strategy as if it's like, like you got to have one. And even if it's to sell, like there's nothing to be ashamed of that if you want to build your company and sell it, that's what you want to do. It's your business. It's okay. I personally enjoy the process. Um, it's my driver. Building this thing is the fun part for me. I don't know what I would do. Um, but it's the fun part for me and just seeing what else can I accomplish? What else can I accomplish with, you know, my customers and how, what, how, you know, what can, how can I, where can I take my employees to work? I love that process so much. Um, and so you never thought 10 years ago, you'd be up in an office in Australia, dude. No, like it's crazy. Uh, but you're, but it's just, you grow up, right? Like you grow up in the business and you're what you can accomplish. I, I get now, uh, like I've had a couple of, uh, I'll bring this guy. So I have a friend, Ken Goodrich, who owns a $180 million, you know, air conditioning and plumbing company out here on the West coast. Um, and, and just keeps growing. His Paul, do you remember what he remember what he said? His um, he wanted to put this little money aside for his family, mm-hmm. and he and he said it created its own LLC, and it was called like the um, uh, half a mil, a half a billion dollar like something or other. I forget what he called it. And his goal was he wanted to get a half of you know basically wanted to get a half a billion dollars into this bank, you know, to to take care of his family and whatever. And he passed it. And he's like, I knew I should have said it at a billion. I'm like, that blows my mind because it's so difficult. But I understand as you grow how that you can start to make sense of that. So I think you grow up in the business and and your exit strategy can change. And it's okay to change. I think that's probably pretty natural. So listen, man, I appreciate you so much. I'm so glad we've started this this relationship. Um, I look forward to watching your journey, man. I appreciate it. Ditto. I appreciate you coming on and sharing the story. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, I love coming out to the uh, the East Coast. I took my family uh, out to, uh, Paul, where did we go? What's the name of that place I went to over there by Savannah? Oh, you went to Hilton Head. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Hilton Head. And um, and I love the set, like the, I love that area a lot. Um, Charleston, I love a lot. We have some, we have some friends out yeah. in Charleston. Yeah. Um, you visited my lake. Come back and see us sometime. Nice. You're in Lake Coney? Yeah, got a house Gorgeous. Right corner Now that I know, I'll just stay in the guest house. Just make a oh. pet for me. Appreciate that. Um, so anyhow, I mean, I appreciate you so much. Appreciate yeah. you sharing your story. Listeners, hopefully what you take away from this is, uh, you know, that really you can accomplish whatever you want um, with a little perseverance, a lot of purpose, I heard you say, um, and getting into some good partnerships. And whether it's a franchise or not, you want to be able to build yourself from a business to a brand, like have something in place that you're continuously striving for. And hopefully this podcast allows you to do that by takeaways. Um, Stuart, is it cool if uh, our listeners want to reach out to you and ask any uh, additional questions or anything personal on the side? 
would love for them to. They can get a hold of me through the website. They can Google my name, whatever they want. They can find me. Happy to talk to anybody anytime. Awesome. And then if you guys want to reach out to us directly, obviously we'll connect you as well. But we appreciate you guys. Appreciate your listeners. Stuart, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Paul. Awesome job. Nice to meet you. Thanks, guys. All right, listeners. Until next time, we appreciate you. Keep leaving the reviews and keep subscribing to the podcast and listening. And please share any uh, tips, tricks that you want to roll out to us. Ooh, wisdom and knowledge. Come wisdom on, Yano. That's twice in a row I've done that. But share uh, anything, that, any other topics that we you. might not have Gerber's gonna get you. Gerber's gonna get you. I can oh see him gosh. knocking on the door now. Okay, listeners, I got to shut Paul down. Until next time, we'll see you. Take care. Thank you for listening to To The Point. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a review in the App Store. And don't forget to share with your friends. Till next time, kick some ass.